What I want you guys to see is I want to um, allow you to see the actual working definition of a myth. Because my guess is most of you in this room, when you hear the word myth, your mind immediately goes, a lie, made up, false, something not true. And so what I want you to see, and you'll know for the next couple of weeks, as we look at some of these myths that we're going to be talking about, this is the definition of myth, and you'll see it on the screen, but I want you to keep it in mind as we go through this. A sacred or traditional story often accepted as history that serves to explain the worldview of a culture or a people. So it is a story that has been accepted as history that has shaped the way we think, the shaped the way we live, shaped the way we act. Um, and so that is our definition of myth. So when I'm saying myth, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a false statement, okay? It's not necessarily right, not necessarily wrong, but what the people on Mythbusters do, as Sue so well pointed out, is they take these things that we grew up believing is true, and they test them. You know, recently they just did all of those James Bond stunt ones, where they, they basically took all the things that James Bond has done and wanted to see if they could actually happen, and so they put them to the test. And they either busted them, or they confirmed them, or they said they were plausible. And so when you look at a myth, when you see something, your question that you need to ask yourself is, well, is there any truth to it? And how do you go about finding the fact that there is truth to something? And so for me, let's just take this example of a traditional story often accepted as history that shapes the way I think, the way I live, the way I look. When I was a little kid, I was one of those kids, I was like that Jerry Maguire kid with the little glasses. I was like, hey Jerry, did you know the human head weighs eight pounds? Did you know that you know, rabbits have four feet? What, you know, I don't know all the things that he said, but I was one of those kids who just loved to have facts in my head. I didn't necessarily know if they were true or not, but if I thought they were cool, I was the kid going, hey, guess what? And some of those myths that I used to say were the things like, hey, you know what? You chew gum and you swallow it, it stays in your stomach for seven years. I used to warn people, I was like, dude, don't chew gum. It'll go down in your stomach and it'll sit there for seven years. Don't do it, man. Well, I will let you know that that is not a true statement. It is false. So now I swallow gum just for fun. I know I can. I'm like, I can swallow gum anytime I want. Kids, don't swallow gum, all right? Do not swallow your gum. But anyways, you know, so I live my life going, you know what? I think that's true, you know? How about this one? This one's a good one. I used to think this was so gross. I'd be like, dude, did you know that when you're dead, your nails and your hair continue to grow? That's awesome. Isn't it gross? I found out that's not true. I was really bummed out. It's false. <clears throat> your body actually dehydrates, and it looks like your nails and your hair are growing, but they're not actually. So I, I, was, I was kind of bummed about that one. But one of my favorite shows, Seinfeld, put to, put to the test... One of my favorite myths, and that is the, the myth of the poppy seed bagel. If you eat a poppy seed bagel before you take a drug test, you could possibly fail your drug test. That is true. I was amazed. I was completely blown away. And, and science put this to the test, and they found out that you could actually fail a drug test by eating a poppy seed bagel. Um, the, the, one, uh, the one where you actually like, throw a, a penny off of the Empire State Building could actually kill somebody. I thought that was true. I really did. But it's not. It would actually just sting someone really bad. A penny thrown from the Empire State Building would not cause you to murder someone. It would actually just kind of sting them and maybe annoy them. And then they'd have to come up thousands of flights of stairs to get you. But anyways, the point is it's not true. And, and this one, is, I always was baffled by this one. But the, uh, the fact that they say a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's mouth. 
it's actually neither true nor false. They actually say that because oral bacteria is so specific to every species that it's just different. But I know for a fact that my dog's mouth is much dirtier than mine. I've seen her eat things that no one should ever put near their mouth. So that's my research. But anyways, realistically, it's neither true nor false. But it's very interesting. I had had, the, I formed these views on these statements that they shaped me in the way I, the way the things I said, the way I talked, the thing, the way, but I had never researched them. I had never gone to see if there was actually any truth behind any of the things that I was reading or saying for myself. And so it's a very interesting journey that we go on. And, and this morning, I think that there's a myth out there. And this myth has come from conversations that I have had with people. They've been from emails that I've gotten from people. And, and I am accused constantly because I say I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that I follow him with everything in me, I have been accused of living in a fantasy world. I have been accused of being someone, because I follow Christ, that I reject science. Or that because I believe that God spoke into creation everything we see and that he formed us with his hands, because I believe that, I have been accused of living in a fantasy world. And so what I wanted to do is I just wanted to go through some of these things that, that have actually shocked me through God's word. The word of God. And here's the deal, guys. This morning, my heart is not that I feel like I have to stand up here and defend God. Did you know he's big enough to do that himself? His truth has stood the test of time. It's going to be lo- around a lot longer than you and I will. It has been around a lot longer than you and I have. And so C.S. Lewis has been a very big influence to me and, 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 and things and shaping the way I view the world and I see truth and I, the way I, I research it and I go about looking for it because C.S. Lewis was someone who understood that truth is not something you and I create. You and I cannot create our own truth. Truth is discovered. Truth is stumbled upon. Truth is, there's truth right there. I wasn't even looking for it. There it is. Truth is not something you and I can just go, you know what? I think I'm going to believe something today and then tomorrow I'm going to believe something different and it's going to be truth to me. Unfortunately, that's the way people work today. And it's a very dangerous slope to be on. But C.S. Lewis was someone who I've really watched and I've, I've respected and he said it this way. He actually said, Christianity is myth become fact. Remember, a myth is not a lie. Remember, he's not saying Christianity is a lie become fact. That's not what he says. He's saying Christianity is a story, a sacred or traditional story that has been accepted as history that serves to explain the worldview of a culture or people. And he is saying that Christianity is myth become fact. And the question that he asked was, he began to wonder if any of the myths that he had read about or read, or studied, and he wondered if any of them were truer than the others. And so then you go about that researching, and that going about, and looking, and seeking out, and finding the answers, and not creating your own answers, but you go back, and you research, and you consider the source, and you do all of those things to go, is there any truth to the worldview that I have? And C.S. Lewis was one who did those things, and so... Again, like I said, he wasn't going, you know what, Christianity is, is myth become fact. It's something that I think is true, so therefore it's going to be. 
But many times over, he was one that said, the Gospels are not something that you just accept on blind faith. The Gospels are based on real events with real people in real history. And so the question that I have is, well, do I really live in a fantasy world? I began to go, what do they mean by fantasy world? And so I started to go through God's word, and, and believe me, I consider myself a secondary teacher, somebody who has been taught something that already is, is out there, and you consider, have considered the sources. I don't consider myself someone who goes, you know what, I've got something really, really unique to say, because everything I say is in the word of God. It's there it's his truth. And, and over and over, the psalmist would say, lead me by your truth. And that's what he does. That is exactly what the Lord does, is he leads us by his truth. And so, you know, I had all these, like, scientific facts and, that are in the Bible. And if you want them, I've got them, and, and they're available, and they're in books, and they're all over the place. And you can find them. But the word of God demands a response from us. It demands a response. We are not in a place when we're dealing with the Word of God to just go, eh. It demands a response. You can read through the Old Testament. You can read through the amazing scientific book of Job. You can read through all of these scriptures where the Lord spoke scientific facts that are available for you today to go, these are already proven facts. You can go through the book of Job where the book of Job talks about the, the water cycle before a water cycle was even invented, but, but, but thought of in the 16th century, 17th century. They found that, you know, precipitation, condensation, a gathering, and it's just a cycle that continues. The Lord speaks of that. The Lord speaks that there is a weight to air. That wasn't known until about 300 years ago. He said that there is a weight to air that actually does affect the water cycle. So it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, that a man who lived in 950 BC in Job, as the Lord spoke to him, would make, fa make, make statements so crazy. You and I, we'd look around and go, you know what, there's no weight to air. That doesn't make any sense. But it now, we now know there is way to air. We now know that the earth is a free-floating ball in space. At the time when Job penned this and, and the Lord spoke it to him and he wrote it down, people believed that the earth rested on the back of someone I think that looked like jazz, maybe. Maybe it looked like jazz. <laughs> or, or a turtle. <laughs> they said that at the time, this was a bold statement for somebody to make, that the, the earth was free-floating in space. How could we possibly know that at that time? The, the, the Bible also suggests that the earth is round. At the time, the earth was to believe to be flat or square. In the book of Leviticus, it's an amazing book because it has to do so much with personal hygiene that wasn't known yet. I mean, seriously. The idea of washing oneself under running water, it seems so simple, but it's such a bold statement. In the 1800s, there was actually a doctor who noticed that in the hospitals that he was in, 30% of women who would give birth would die in the hospital. 30%. And he was overwhelmed with that number. And he began to watch the patterns of all the doctors in the hospital. And he noticed the one thing that would happen, because micro, you know, the little microscopic diseases hadn't been really on the forefront yet, they would move from a cadaver that they had just examined in one ward, and they would walk right over to, give, to deliver birth in another. And so diseases were transferred. And then he said, he brought up this thought, hey, you know what, maybe we should wash our hands. 
And the Lord's going, duh. I, I told you to do that. In Leviticus, it also, it is very specific that the blood is the life of the flesh. In the 1800s and earlier before that, there was a practice of bloodletting. When you were sick, when you had a disease, science thought that let's just bleed them out. That'll get rid of the disease. Let's just bleed them. George Washington actually died of this. But the Bible makes it very specific that we need our blood. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You need your blood. I mean, you could go on and on and on and on, and there's so many things, historical, archaeological, scientific, hygiene. I mean, all these different things in the Word of God that have been proven to be, yes, they're right, they're correct. And so I, as I'm going through all this, and I don't have time to go through all of those things, but when I go through that, my question is, if there is truth to these statements, if there is truth in the scriptures about these things that the Lord spoke to men who had absolutely no idea what they were writing down, probably were called crazy people for suggesting that the world was free-floating or, or round or, or whatever, my question is, if there's truth to those statements, could there be truth to Romans 3.23? Could there be truth for everyone has sinned that we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous? He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Could there be truth to Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If those verses in the Old Testament and science and, and in Hebrews that talks about subatomic particles before those were even, nobody even knew what those were, if there's truth to those, could there be truth to John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that anyone that would believe on Him would not taste death, but have eternal life. Could there be truth to that? Could there be truth to Romans 5.8? But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. If those things are all true that, we just, that science has taken and said, yes, these are accurate, could there be truth to 1 John 3.16? We know that real love is because Jesus gave up His life for us. Could there be truth to 1 John 4.10? This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. When I read things like this, when I see scriptures like this, when I go, Lord, You have put Your thumbprint across eternity, You have put Your thumbprint on the earth like nobody else, You have made it very clear to us that Your Word is trustworthy. Next week, I'm excited, Shannon's going to be able to share with you why you can trust the Word of God. You know, there are a lot of books out there. But why this book is so different. And I hope you'll be here for that. But as I read through these scriptures and as I see the Lord putting His thumbprint across eternity, and I go, if there is truth to all of these statements, and C.S. Lewis is right that Christianity, although mythical, being a story that has shaped the worldview of millions, if not billions of people, has become fact. 
If there is truth to that, and I hope that you will, begin, you will be one of those people who begins to wrestle with what truth is. Truth is not created. Truth is discovered. I pray that you will begin to be someone who wrestles with that. I pray that you'll be able to go, I'm going to put things on a scale, and I'm going to begin to weigh them. I'm going to see what is truth, and I'm going to see what I'm walking in is a lie. And that you'll begin to use the Word of God as that scale. And you'll begin to see that there is so much truth, not just because He speaks it, but because He is truth. Jesus is truth. And what I said at the beginning is that the Word of God demands a response. The Word of God demands a response from you and from me. If, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, does it make a difference in your relationship with your spouse? If the Word of God, if God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, does it make a difference in your relationship with your children? If, God demonstrated his love to us in this, that he died while we were still sinners. Does it make a difference in the way you do business? On the job, where you work, with your friends who do not call themselves Christ followers. Young people, if, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone who would choose to believe in him should not taste death but have eternal life. Young people, does it make a difference on your school campus? Does it make a difference why you get up in the morning and you go to those hallways at your school? Young people, does it make a difference at all? When your friends are cheating on a test, do you say, I'm not doing it? You know, 70% of Christian teenagers said that they cheated on a test in the last year. Christian teenagers. You know, here's the deal. Here, when I hear people say that I live in a fantasy world... I think it's because they are so completely used, used to seeing people claim Jesus with their lips on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday look no different. So they're going, you're saying one thing, but you're living something else. That's a fantasy. So when the Lord says, I'm going to lead you with my truth, I'm going to lead you with the truth, you can bank on it. There's some verses in Psalms that I want you to see and, and understand that I, I, I think I get giddy sometimes. I get like, yeah, you know. I, I feel like that sometimes when I read verses like this. Psalm 25, 5 says, Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Psalm 43, 3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. Psalm 85, 10, and 11 says, Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the earth, and righteousness smiles down from the heaven. I got a very clear picture when I read this verse. When it says, Truth springs up from the earth, I was just thinking of all the Old Testament scriptures that the Lord spoke about the world being round. It's not flat. It's free-floating. Hebrews talks about how there, you know, things that we see are made up of things that we don't see. And we now know that to be very true. And it's amazing to me. And I go, you know what? I can see the Lord. It says that righteousness smiles down from heaven. And the very clear picture I got of is the Lord sitting up there, knowing what He's already spoken to His Old Testament prophets. And then some scientist comes along and goes, I've discovered something! And I can totally see the Lord going, that took you 2,000 years. <laughs> I mean, 
I created your brain, but man, I thought somebody would be on this a little faster. You know, and as I began to think about that, I was like, that's him smiling, that's righteousness smiling down from heaven because his truth springs up from everything. And it's not something that you and I can create. It's something he's already done. And it demands a response. You know, I thought it was amazing that this morning there were two songs, there were two lines in two of the songs, I'll bring you more than a song. And one of the songs said, live your truth. It didn't say sing about your truth, talk about your truth. It said live your truth. And so if the word of God says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, I'm going to live that out. It makes a difference in your marriage. It makes a difference in your relationship with your friends, with your coworkers, with your peers, with everyone that you come in contact with. Jesus is not just lip service. It is a life of worship. More than a song. I'm not asking you to respond by singing louder on Sunday. I'm asking you to love your wife as Jesus loves you. I'm asking you to, to serve your children, to love your children as Jesus loves you. I'm asking you to do business justly because the word of God is truth and it demands a response from us. And so this morning... I want to give you guys a chance to do that, to respond to his truth. The fact that unfailing love and truth have met together, unfailing love and truth. It's Jesus. Unfailing love and truth is Jesus. If you're having a problem dealing with the whole, I can't create my own truth, that doesn't work. Meet Jesus. He will let you in on reality. Unfortunately, the way I see my life before I met Christ was I was living in a fantasy before I met Christ. Because I thought I could do things the way I wanted to. I thought I could live and do and say and be and do all these things and and live by my own rules. And I could create my right and my wrong and everything was cool. But when I was introduced to Jesus, that whole fantasy world of living for myself was crumbled. And the foundation that I began to build my life on is something that is tested, that has been weighed, and been found to be true. And I can bank on that. And so because that is truth, my life, I want it to be a response Everything I say, everything I do, every decision I make, how I love my wife, how I love my kids, how I do business, how I, how I hang out with people, people that don't know the Lord, I'm hanging out with them, with them in mind, going, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. It demands a response. And so this morning, as the band is going to come and they're going to close with a song that, that I really believe fits perfectly, but because the Lord has given us His truth, and in not, we haven't made it up, we haven't gone, you know what, I'm going to think of something else today, but that His truth leads us to Him. Have you responded to Him? Have you responded to, for God so loved the world? Have you responded to that this is love, that we didn't love Him first, but He loved us while we were still sinners? 
Does it make a difference in your day-to-day life? My prayer is that this, for this whole week, I have been, God, please, lead them by your truth. 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 Because Jason's truth is not going to amount to a hill of beans. It's his truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except by me. I am not telling you anything that I have come up with on my own. I consider myself sometimes a secondary, thirdary, fourthary, whatever, I don't know. What I am saying is not my own. It's from His, the truth's mouth. And so this morning, my prayer is that you'll just respond and you'll say, Lord, please. Lead me by your truth. Lead me by your truth. I'm tired of living in a fantasy world. I want to be grounded on your truth. So when I look at this myth that I live in a fantasy world, as I have done the research, as I have weighed the scales, and I have seen truth upon truth upon truth of God's word that I have not created, but that is present because He is truth, I can say that this myth is busted. Father, I thank you that you lead us by your truth. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that we stumble on to how amazing you are. I thank you that, that we can't come up with our own ideas of what we want you to do, but Lord, you've given us the truth and it is our responsibility to adjust our lives to who you are. So Father, this morning, I pray that for the hearts of every single person in this room, including myself, that Lord, we would respond because your word is truth. It demands a response. And Father, I pray that we would be a people bold enough or even bold enough to say we're afraid to respond, but that you would give us the courage and that you would lead us by your spirit to your truth because you are the truth. In your name we pray. Amen.